Hello there, Alaskans, wherever you are. Welcome to the Must Read Alaska Show, coming to you from somewhere in Alaska. This is the place where we talk about, you guessed it, Alaska, where we keep the mainstream media on their toes and where we are standing up for what's right and a world run by leftists. You can find out more by heading over to mustreadalaska.com and also checking out the Must Read Alaska YouTube channel for some really great content. But first, let's get this party started. Thank you, Scott. Hello, hello, everybody, and welcome aboard Must Read Alaska, coming to you from somewhere in Alaska. We are the place for conservative news and content, and we are standing up for a strong America, a free America, and I have a new pronoun for myself, freedom fighter. You can also find us at mustreadalaska.com on the website and on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and all the other social media sites, including Rumble and YouTube. And do me a favor, just leave a review and give us a rating. We really appreciate hearing from you. If you give us a five-star rating, it'll make our day. John is in Nikiski. John Quick, what's going on over there? Well, welcome, Suzanne. John Quick here out here in the uh, wonderful, unincorporated town of Nikiski. Uh, living the dream. It's uh, a little sunny, and uh, we're fighting freedom out here in Nikiski. We, uh, uh, every day, we're fighting to have our kids be able to go to school and not have to have mask mandates and 17 other mandates that are upon them. And so that's kind of what we're still fighting out here in Nikiski. But, you know, one of the things that I think is very exciting today is that we have a very, very special guest with us for the Must Read Alaska show. And that is Kelly Chewbacca, former commissioner of administration for the Dunleavy administration. Um, she is running against Lisa Murkowski. And, and Kelly has got an amazing resume. She, uh, she has been a watchdog of sorts uh, in the government. She has investigated official misconduct in the Department of Justice, the Federal Tr Trade Commission, and 17 other uh, intelligence community agencies. If there's somebody out there that can sniff down wasteful spending, it's Kelly Chewbacca. So Kelly, I want to uh, welcome you to the show. And uh, for our readers that maybe uh, don't know you or don't know much about you or are hearing you for the first time, tell us a little bit about yourself and why you're running for uh, uh, U.S. Senate. Well, thank you so much. And it's so honoring to be with you all today. Um, I'm born and raised here. My parents are actually down there with you, John and Nikiski. They moved up here in the 70s. Dad was trained to be an electrician when he served in Vietnam. So he got a maintenance position as a union guy at Anchorage Telephone Utility, worked there till he retired. And mom was one of the original Alaskans up at Prudhoe Bay. And that oil and gas job just changed the course of our family's story. My parents went through some hard times and they were homeless for a while, but they were able to fight their way up into the middle class and give me a totally normal Alaska childhood of fishing and hunting. And when dad got his airplane flying a lot out of Lake Hood, and I was the first in our family to pursue a college degree. I went to the University of Alaska for a while and then transferred to Texas A&M. I interned for Senator Stevens and he encouraged me to go to law school. So I got into law school, met my husband, and that's when I started that career you're talking about of holding insiders accountable, exposing waste, fraud, and abuse, and really making sure that government works for the people instead of what we're experiencing right now, which is government working against us. And then had the opportunity to come back home and do that for us here at the state as commissioner of administration, shrinking government, cutting costs, introducing innovation to make sure that we get the biggest bang for our buck. And 
you know, back in January and February, there were just some decisions that were made, some votes that were cast that cost us billions. And I thought about how much Alaska has done for my family, the Alaskans who fought for my parents when they needed some help getting their legs up under them. And I'm tired of watching all of us um, live with oppression or live with our opportunities being suffocated when we live in a land of opportunity. We've got so much resource here. And I just think everyone should be able to have the opportunities my parents had, you know, work a good paying job and put a roof over their head and, you know, send your kid to college if you want. And I also thought about my dad. He's told me a couple stories from Vietnam, but I imagine like most military service members, um, he won't tell me most of them because they, they were traumatic. And, you know, there, there's a, we've inherited a great country, but it's come at a great price. And a lot of our service members did bled, they've died or they've sacrificed and they bear in their bodies and their memories, the trauma of what it's cost. And I just see people up and down Pennsylvania Avenue trash in our country. And I'm not okay with it. I'm not okay with it. Cause I know what it costs my dad. I know what it costs his dad. I know what it costs my mom's dad and so many service members in our Alaskan community. And I just oh. thought, you know, to who much is given much is expected. And there's a lot expected of me as the daughter of a veteran, someone who's inherited a great country, someone who's inherited all that freedom. You all are talking about, we fight for, um, am I going to just sit here and yell at my TV and shake my fist in the comfort and privacy of my living room? Or am I actually going to fight for it? And so I decided I'm going to fight for the Alaskans who fought for me. I'm going to stand up for my country when my, my dad and my grandparents, they stood up for it in a much more um, difficult way. And I'm just going to do what I can do. And what I can do is get our seat back. You know, Frank Murkowski gave his daughter that seat when he became governor. He literally appointed her to it. And she has become a DC insider. And we Alaskans want to get our seat back. So our voice and our votes represented there. It's just that plain and simple. Well, and so let, that's let, why me, I, let, me, let me ask you a question here. Um, yeah. Before, before I want to talk to you about some of this stuff, because this is, uh, this is really on our hearts and minds today, this sense of our country and sort of what has happened to it very, very suddenly. We've, we've, be, we've become aware that, you know, our, that we're, our country has just sort of lost a, a major war, that it's been at war for 20 years. We can call it a conflict if we like, but it's been a war over Afghanistan and, and some bad things have happened. But, but before we do that, can, can people find out more about you um, at your website? And, and what is that website? So we're at kelly4ak.com. It's kelly4ak.com. And the brief update, because I know there's a lot of people listening who yeah. follow us closely. Right. Um, we've had the endorsement of President Trump. I got to meet with him at the top of Trump Tower for almost an hour. The Alaska Republican Party has also endorsed me for this race, and they've censured Lisa and said she cannot use the Republican name in the campaign. We have a 20-point lead in the polls over Lisa, and we're out fundraising her four to one in the state of Alaska and over 2000 Alaskans have donated to our race. We've raised more so far than all of Lisa's opponents in the last Senate race. And half of our donations have come from Alaskans. Why does this matter? Because in Alaska this time, we don't have a typical Senate election. We're going to have that ranked choice election. Mm -hmm. And what that means is Republicans always win in statewide races in Alaska. It's just, you run the data plain and simple. Trump won our state by double digits twice. Senator Sullivan crossed well over 50%. You all know that we've had Don Young in office since the days of Nixon. I'm not exaggerating. No. And we have Don Levy as governor. And the way to win ranked choice is by simply crossing 50%. So having the support of Alaskans at this level this early and having the support of President Trump and the Alaska Republican Party 
is looking really strong that we're going to win this race. And so thanks Alaskans for your support. Yeah. And so everybody should go to the Kelly for AK. Is that what it is? That's it. Thanks, Suzanne. Kelly for AK. I can remember that. Kelly for AK.com. And um, if you want to support her campaign, I'm sure there's a donate button somewhere there, right? Um, Just one or two. (laughs) You also can sign up to help out with the campaign. And that that helps us a lot too. Grassroots movement is how to win Alaska. Oh, that's exactly right. And because it isn't, it, it isn't always the, the biggest money that wins, as we know. Uh, in the last race, we saw Al Gross out raising um, Dan Sullivan, you know, something like four to one. It was extraordinary. Well, um, uh, let's talk a little bit about this, uh, the situation that's going on over in Afghanistan. And because we were started, started this conversation, you and John started by talking about, you know, your, your background and your dad was a, a Vietnam veteran. And so I'm sure that for him, he's looking at what's going on in in Afghanistan right now and people being sort of lifted out by helicopter and, and by, um, by military transport and people running to catch the last flight out. Uh, you have a very strong background in national security that I really don't know much about. And maybe there's stuff you can't tell me because you'd have to shoot me, but can you just tell me some of the stuff that you can tell me? It's an honor to so and it's also an honor to just say thank you to all of our military service personnel here in Alaska, many of whom have flown dozens of flights into Afghanistan served multiple tours in Afghanistan we owe a huge debt of gratitude to all of you who've done missions in Afghanistan, my story is that. Um, after 9-11 I joined the Department of Justice and then was selected to be part of the original group of people who helped to set up the director of national intelligence and form the intelligence community as we started the war on terror. And for over a decade, I served in the national security community or the intelligence community. It's the 17 agencies that do all things, spies, terrorists, and weapons of mass destruction. And I was on the inside. So a lot of these acronyms are known, CIA, FBI, DOD, many of them, a lot of people don't know, NSA, NRO, NGA, et cetera. Um, but they all have something to do with fighting the war on terror. And so we were up close and personal as we made our advances in taking over Afghanistan. So let's remember what's actually happening here as we rewind the clock, because I was on the inside. Um, This is what we, why did we do this? This purpose of this was to disrupt the radical terrorist organizations and the countries that harbored them. We call them Islamists. Afghanistan was our number one target in establishing peace here has cost us over 6,000 American lives and 20,000 Americans have been wounded. But this is what we've done. Afghanistan has no longer been a safe haven for those Islamists that have threatened America. And there have been freedoms that were prohibited under Taliban rule, especially for women and girls. Those mm-hmm. have started to grow. Now, 40% of teenage girls in Afghanistan are able to read. That might be higher than our literacy rate in Alaska. I just want to put that out there. (laughs) These changes, though, are directly related to our American national security. This is not just a civil war in Afghanistan, like some of our news reports are talking about. This is not just about Afghanistan. This is related to us. And that's why we have to say thank you to what our military personnel have done. In the last 20 years, we have not had another 9-11. That was why we did this. And some would say, well, we've been at war for 20 years. I don't think that we have. There was a war originally. And in the meantime, we've been maintaining peace. We've dropped down to just a couple thousand people on the ground there as part of a diplomatic effort to Mm. ensure that we could help 
the people on the ground in Afghanistan keep peace in their own country. And so that was the purpose of being there and pulling out in the fashion that we did in just the last couple months. This wasn't just Joe Biden's decision. He mm. consulted with intelligence personnel, diplomats, and Congress, mm. and the Democrats supported him. In fact, Senator Murkowski supported him with the assumption that the administration had a viable plan in place for leaving. Mm -hmm. So we took a couple thousand troops out just to send a couple thousand in again, essentially conceding that this plan was a complete failure. Mm -hmm. And let's also remember mm. President Obama and Vice President Biden, when they withdrew the troops from Iraq in 2011, that led directly to the rise of what we now know as ISIS and ISIL. So for a long time, when I was in the intel community, um, Al-Qaeda was our biggest threat and our, our worst nightmare. Right. But when President Obama and Vice President Biden withdrew the troops from Iraq in much the same way they're doing it now in 2011, mm -hmm. just 10 years ago, ISIS and ISIL came out of that. And now they are far worse than anything Al-Qaeda ever did. So we can expect something similar to arise out of this disastrous transition uh, yeah. Whenever we create a vacuum of leadership in terrorist strongholds, it breeds further radicalism. This mm -hmm. is a proven fact in, um, we could call it the war on terror or terrorism studies, whatever you want to call mm -hmm. it. All, uh, when we study this, this is what happens. You know, that is fascinating. I feel like you've been feeding me with a fire hose on this, um, but <laughs> But so, so you, you saw a lot of this unfold over the years um, uh, as, you were, as you were working in the intelligence community. And that was before you went and worked at the Postal Service working on um, different kinds of security issues for the post, US Postal Service as well. So you, you've certainly um, seen it from the analytics and I'm sure you, you're quite an expert in analytics as well. But, it's, it seems like right now we've got uh, a president who is showing his frailty to the world. And you can see the, the Russians are watching how frail he is. The, the Chinese are watching how frail he is. And certainly the, the loose network of terrorists group like um, Al-Qaeda Al and ISIL, of course, and um, the Taliban, they all kind of work together and they, they, they fight with each other and work together at different times. They are all looking at our the our, the weakened state of our military, and and um, you know what what role does what role does Lisa Murkowski have in some of this um, this the situation that's developed? So, with all due respect, I believe that Lisa's support for this administration has been an accomplice to its utter and complete failure, not only with respect to Afghanistan and foreign policy, but all of its failures in the last eight months, I struggled to point to anything Biden has done average or above average since he's taken over. Yeah. Let's go back and talk about what else is happening at the hands of the Taliban, because it's more than just about our national security. Some of the greatest human rights atrocities in the world right. have been and currently are being committed at the hands of the Taliban. If we have listeners to us today that haven't seen the pictures, please go and inform yourself. The rape, the brutalization, the beating of women and children, the murder of anyone who doesn't share their extreme radical faith views, Jews, mm -hmm. Christians, Buddhists, mm -hmm. Hindus, 
the systemic deprivation of education while we sit here and self-examine and divide into CRT in our classrooms, we have no idea what systemic oppression of education looks like. So I cannot be more clear when I say, if you care about our military and their mental health, mm -hmm. if you care about women and children, if you care about human rights, if you care about our national security, if you care about peace in the Middle East, then you must be outraged Mm -hmm. at the lack of leadership demonstrated by the Biden administration and mm -hmm. by all of those who have supported him mm. in this time. There's just no equivocating on any of that. Yeah, I, I, I myself, I've, I've lost a lot of sleep over this last night because of uh, knowing that the, the women and children, and I, I was, think I was reading there's um, 18 million women and children now in peril, well, especially women and girls, I think is the specific problem. Um, they, the Taliban in the past has not allowed girls to attend school, you know, over the, over grade four, I think was where they limited them. And so for the past um, 20 years, there's been a, a whole generation that's grown up and they've been able to get some education and they, they've been able to experience some level of freedom, even though the, the society is still much more oppressive than ours. But um, now these young women who are, are um, emerging as adults, are going to be locked down and the ones that are educated i'm afraid are going to be persecuted quite severely and i've seen what they do they take um they take bats and they actually beat the women with actual baseball style bats or police batons um, they cause great bruising and knock teeth out and and um, you know we won't see any of this because the women will be covered with burkas so we will not see the injuries um really pretty uh, scary Meanwhile, uh, while they pull men out of the homes and, and shoot them, um, the women will be left without any means of support. And so they'll have to go become wives of the Taliban soldiers. So terrible human rights tragedy has affected all, all of us who are paying attention. It's affected us so greatly. Yes, yeah, Suzanne, that's right. We, we have to remember, you know, never forget so, so many of us, we have this as mandatory reading in our family but so many of us remember the story of the young girl, let's not pretend she's a woman, the young girl, Malala, her dad was an education rights activist for women. Right, right. And she spoke out about it. I think she may have been 12, right. 13, and they shot her. Mm -hmm. And fortunately she survived and they took her to a European country where she healed and she wrote her book, I am Malala. Mm -hmm. And I make my children read it so they can understand how important education is what it is like in other countries where we don't have the freedoms that we have here in the United States. There is no weapon greater than a free citizenry. And mm -hmm. here we see in America, our leaders trying to shut us down in our freedoms in every respect they can. And we see where that leads with stories like that. That's exactly just in a couple weeks from the time Joe Biden decided to um, rush through a poorly planned um, withdraw of troops process. That's exactly what we're seeing take over this country overnight is um, the reversal of everything gained in that book. I am Malala. We are hearing reports and not just from one news source of Afghans falling from the sky as they cling to departing American airplanes in a desperate attempt to flee from Taliban rule. Could you imagine anyone in our country being so desperate to get out of here? We instead see people fleeing across our border to come in. 
right. you know, despite all of our alleged systemic racism and oppression and all the problems we have, I don't buy any of it. I think mm -hmm. America is exceptional, which is exactly why all of Central and South America is trying to come in. They are fleeing for their lives, clinging to American hope on an airplane, falling to their death. And he stands up there, President Biden today, and says, I make no apologies. I stand mm -hmm. by my decision and supposedly my method for implementing it. Right. Keep in mind, keep in mind, um, he listed, these are all in press releases, if you've kept up with this plan, what he had in place for a, quote, stable transition of Afghanistan. 40% of the initiatives for his stability plan were related to COVID support. COVID support was what was going to keep Afghanistan stable. Wow. Can we just say that withdrawing from Afghanistan doesn't need to focus on COVID support? He also said that in withdrawing from Afghanistan, he was doing so so he could focus on the challenges in front of us. Well, all right, listeners, what yeah. is Biden focusing on? In the Department of Defense, we've seen this. He's dedicated significant resources on CRT imposing communist racial constructs of dividing our armed forces into groups of oppressed and oppressors, right? rather than actually caring for protecting the oppressed people under our care in Afghanistan. His priorities are completely off. And so the people who are supporting this administration, being an accomplice to it, are enabling these um, misplaced priorities and therefore the the burden of bearing the brutal brutality and the oppression of the real innocent people in Afghanistan who, who we now, we have to face this as Americans, we all now have to own this. We can't just say this was Biden. Um, we have to own this. Democrats supported this. The intelligence community supported this. Um, Murkowski said, you know, I thought they had a plan in place. That's our Senator Alaska. Mm -hmm. who lended her support to this. And we can say, you know, there's a lot of people coming out now saying, well, hold on, wait. And there's a lot of words, but actions speak louder than words. And I didn't hear a lot of words and I didn't see a lot of actions the last couple months, no. but this was all completely predictable. And if you wonder if what I'm saying is true, go look at the special inspector general for Afghanistan reconstruction. His reports outline this going back years I have colleagues who okay. work in that office. They've said for years that Afghanistan is not ready to stand on their own. They report directly to Congress. Congress has had these reports. So mm. everyone acts like shock and surprise. The Biden administration absolutely failed. They should have known. No, Congress, you knew. Mm -hmm. You knew Congress that the army and the military in Afghanistan wasn't ready and prepared you are just as culpable. And where were you in using your words, your positions on the floor of the Senate before this to say, hold on, wait, let's see your transition plan. Aren't there three branches of government for a reason? Yeah. Yeah. Interesting, you know, because this buddies with Biden club concept is just, uh, and it, it, it feels like I don't want to sit here and blame people for voting for Biden because, um, you know, many of them just didn't like Donald Trump and his mean tweets. And Donald Trump, he is a kind of character that you either accept him and you may not like him, but you accept him because he has good policies or, uh, or 
or you don't, maybe you, maybe you hate him because he just rubs the wrong way. But um, now we've got, uh, now we've got Joe Biden and he's only been in office for almost eight months now. And what a meltdown in our country and around the world. All these world leaders, they hated, they said, supposedly they hated Trump. That's because they were afraid of him. That's because he, uh, you know, he, he was that kind of an alpha character and they didn't want that in America. They want a Joe Biden, somebody who's kind of basically doddering. It's also fascinating to me that Biden is the very best that the Democrats could do. They had plenty of other candidates, but this was their best. After this weekend, I really hope that those who voted for Biden are, are starting to wake up and, and starting to understand that this is a big, bad world we're living in. And um, we're dealing with some incredibly evil people on the other, on the other side here uh, with the Taliban and the things that are going to happen. Once, they close, once everybody gets out and they, they take over the airport and they shut it all down, we will not see the atrocities because they will kill the journalists or you know, the journalists will be imprisoned or they'll be kicked out of the country. We won't be seeing what actually goes on. So what we're seeing now is just foreshadowing. So do appreciate your, hearing your viewpoint on that. Boy, you really, um, you really bring it. Tell us a little bit um, about uh, what you're hearing from Alaskans as you move around the state, because I, I ran into you down in Sterling. You had a huge fundraiser down there the other day. It was amazing. I think there were 45, 50 people there, if I'm not mistaken, and somebody's at somebody's house. Food was delicious, by the way. Um, and, and I know you're getting around. You were down in Ward Cove. So tell me what you're hearing from Alaskans. You know, the message is the same no matter where we go. We're all concerned about the same issues. We need our jobs back. Our economy is, Joe Biden wants to say our economy is on the move false, <laughs> unless yeah. it's on a bowel movement. I mean, it might be, that might be the move, <laughs> but it's on an absolute meltdown. He's bankrupting our nation and we're feeling it up here more than anywhere where he, there's a full on economic assault from the federal government against Alaska. Yeah, there it's is. A, it's amazing. It doesn't seem to matter how Alaskans are politically. Um, those lines are all seeming to get really blurred right now when we are united in the need for jobs, the need for economy, the need for responsible development of our resources and the need to access our lands so that we can live here and stay here. Uh, we also see that a lot of confusion about why there is a determination to end domestic production of fossil fuel resources, but to go hat in hand to countries like Iraq Iran and Saudi Arabia and ask them for those kind of resources when those are, you know, when we talk about Afghanistan, the countries that are um, foreign enemies for us, they're a national security threat for us, but that's what the Biden administration is doing. He's created an oil crisis and he's solving it by creating a national security crisis. And so Alaskans are wise to that and talking about that. Everyone just wants a, a working chance to live here well. And there's different economic issues depending on what part of the state you go to, but that's it. We're really yeah. concerned about our rights, our constitutional rights, our second amendment rights, followed by a first amendment right issue, whether that's speech or religion, or even the right to assembly or to associate mm -hmm. with who we want to associate with. We're hearing a lot about that. Um, and, and voting rights, and those take on different forms from voting integrity to even voting access or the rights of our 
votes being diluted by things that are legal here in Alaska, but they're diluting the votes of some of our minority groups. Mm-hmm. And so we're hearing a lot about that. Um, we are promised a lot in Alaska, but we are being lied to. And so a lot of our conversations lately have been around the infrastructure bill, ah. which yes. So it seems like every room I'm in, I'm asked about it. And, you know, Suzanne, my mom told me when you call it one thing, but it's something else that's called a, and in Hebrew, my men, everybody says lie, because it seems like all of us Alaskans were raised the same. So mm-hmm. I was raised by Alaskan parents and we all have same Alaskan values. That's what the infrastructure bill is. It's a lie. Uh, less than 25% of it has to deal with infrastructure. But if you call it the green new deal bill or the corporate bailout bill or the climate resiliency bill, then we won't like it very much. Um, the part of it that has to deal with infrastructure for Alaska, almost all of it we have to apply and compete for against other rural areas in America. So our communities will be competing against other communities. And then if we do apply, we then have to go through the same application processes we're going through now with Department of Interior, EPA, the Forest Service, the Army Corps of Engineers. And how well are those application processes going? Look around, not very well. No, very and so, slow. No, slow. They go slow to no go and they shut us down. Everything shut down. And so my point is you are what your record says you are. If we were going to get infrastructure, we would have gotten it the last 20 years Murkowski was in office or the last yeah. 40 years the Murkowski yeah. has been in office. We're right. not going to get any of this infrastructure money. It's all a bait and switch illusion magic trick from the Senate saying it's infrastructure, but really we're not gonna see any of it. It's just their way of getting the Green New Deal passed. Except there's one catch in there. There's $1 billion going to catch a can only, a small town in Southeast for culverts, no strings attached, no application necessary. And when you talk to the leaders in Ketchikan, even they say they don't need 10% of our entire state budget coming to really? their town. That's, yes. that's, that's a big project. That's a wow. really big project. What are they, they going to do? Ship water to California? <laughs> well, they said and they said they have no idea what they would spend one billion dollars on, but somebody in Ketchikan is going to get a lot of money, and of course, that's a town that the Murkowskis have a lot of family history in. So that's that true. is money yeah, we're actually going to get, but otherwise, Alaska is not going to get much money. Uh, I'm have to be looking into that. I can see a story on my screen just forming up already. Well, I really appreciate your time with us today. I am just um, thrilled that you came on the show and to update Alaskans. And if you don't mind, I'll probably be putting out a little story about our conversation here because you've given us a lot to think about in terms of the war on terror, the situation in Afghanistan. Uh, tell us again about your where your website is and, and how people can get in touch with you. I would so love everyone to check us out at kelly4ak.com. And if you want to help support our campaign right now, we're using those donations to go take trips around Alaska, meet with Alaskans, and we're hearing far and wide, it's time for a change. But you all know Alaska. They only put trust in people who they know. So this is how we win hearts and minds. So thanks for helping us. Kelly4ak.com. Kelly4ak.com. And everybody, before we go, be sure to sign up for the Must Read Alaska newsletter. It goes out three times a week. Just drop your email address in the box at mustreadalaska.com. And if you'd like to sponsor this podcast and reach hundreds of Alaskans each week, you can give John a holler. And John, what is the address they can reach you for advertising? Uh, John, J-O-H-N at mustreadalaska.com. 
Right. And he'll get you all set up. And Scott Levesque, thank you so much for all you do as a producer of this show. Everybody make sure to listen to Scott's show on Wednesday. He is the Wednesday edition of the Must Read Alaska podcast. If you're a supporter of our, our project here, thank you so much. Makes this possible to stand up for what's going on right in Alaska and for fight all, all the things that are going wrong. If you'd like to support the conservative side of the news, please just drop a, a donation in the donation button there at mustreadalaska.com. And thanks everybody. We'll talk to you again next week here somewhere in Alaska. Bye.